Has the House of Keys got nothing better to do than to consider whether it should say prayers? Is this symptomatic of a parliamentary and government system which creates work to keep idle hands busy? Is the system broken? Oh yes, and what about climate change? Is it still an emergency? And if it is, how can government give a licence to Kroger to search for gas? Daphne K in MHK provides some very considered responses to these questions and much more. I began by asking Mrs. Kane about Key's prayers. First of all, Daphne Kane, you, are you the you're the chair of the House of Keys Management and Member Standards Committee, or no? I'm I'm a member of that committee, but as Mr. Speaker is the chair of the committee, and as presiding officer, he can't participate in the debates in the House of Keys. So I took it forward to the keys as a member of the committee and the uh, you know, it looks like a fairly innocuous little report and yet it uh, generated quite a debate it there was a smaller debate on it this time and a huge debate on it in february um because we can't please all the people all the time and there's a wide range of views amongst members and the wider public on you know the differences between maintaining traditions and the importance and significance of having prayers before the business of the keys. Um, some picked up on the wording, the, the service of the house. Is that I think Mr. Thomas said, is that public service? Is it the prayers, the church service? Is it um, and the appropriateness in the modern age of starting our working business day with prayers? Um, and a couple of members take real exception to that and feel that to have changed it so that members are not obliged to be present for prayers isn't particularly inclusive. So the, the vote was tight on a couple of the recommendations, but they were all approved. And to me, as Pemba said, it, it was a bit of a mountain out of a molehill. When there are so many important matters that we should be devoting our time to, it has become a bit of a distraction. So I'm pleased that the re- recommendations were approved, that the chaplain has now been appointed, and that the, between the chaplain and the speaker, they can devise a way forward, hopefully to clarify how those recommendations will be implemented and what the new system will evolve to be. And, and effectively, the only... I mean, there's a lot of tidying up exercises, but but there's one specific um, matter of substance, and that is the uh, whether members should uh, attend prayers at the start of each um, parliamentary s- setting or sitting. So is this... Now, just for the House of Keys, or does this apply for Tinwald as well? We are the House of Keys Management Committee. There is another one for Tinwald who perhaps may look at some aspects of it. But the the majority of members were very clear. The, there was support for Mrs Maltby's amendment that said prayers will continue, but members, it's a matter for their own conscience whether they're present or not. So the practicalities of that, it's tricky. Do prayers happen before 10 o'clock? Then members come in, do prayers continue to be broadcast, I guess, as a matter for the broadcaster. And in terms of occasional, infrequent other guests leading prayers, depending on world events, visiting dignitaries, again, a matter for the speaker to discuss with the new chaplain. Um, so, I mean, the 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 aim behind it was to modernise. And I was um, meeting some business leaders in the past week who were flabbergasted to hear that we started our working day with prayers and said, can you imagine suggesting that before a business meeting in a um, a company? And of course you couldn't. So, you know, the members 
went ahead with it. And because in the initial time it was debated, we had not received any nominations for chaplain, we put forward a report with some recommendations that would remove prayers just from the key sittings. And members and public resoundingly said, no, we must preserve tradition. But there was that element that uh, acknowledging that not everybody is comfortable to attend prayers. Perhaps some stronger leadership is required in in terms of explaining to the public um, why this isn't appropriate uh, in the 21st century. Well, I did have people raise it on the doorstep during the hustings before the last election, just to get rid, not not enjoying hearing it broadcast over the airways before a sitting. Um, and yet Westminster retains it. I think Wales as a parliament has not, not implemented it at the start of a modern parliament, while Scotland has a more of a thought for the day, which was a suggestion that we had this smoon act, this thought um, that could rotate through members or other um, nominated people to, to say. Members didn't want that. And there's a lot of people that say, you know, some of the more church-going members of the Keys categorically they their face was their own personal business and they attended church or not according to their own wishes and they didn't need to have that prescribed at the start of keys business and there are one or two members who have no faith who find it very uncomfortable um but equally i think from um miss farragut's comments particularly i have a lot of sympathy it's it's no less uncomfortable that people are outside the door or not in and then come in and speaker would be there and then we are not in all present before the speaker comes in. So I think there will be some reflection on the practicalities of implementing it. But actually, it's such a tiny piece of the proceedings that, and I said, it's it's become a bit of a distraction. And mm. so so hopefully the, the, other, the other aspect and element that came out was that the service of the house didn't define whether that was the business of the house, which we have interpreted it to mean. So therefore, you're not obliged, which has always been the expectation that members would be in their seats for prayers, whether they participated or not. Um, and the actually, the standing orders are due a fundamental overhaul. And I think that's with the standing orders committee to make it plain English and very clear what is the what is needed in the standing orders to support and inform us how the business of the house should be carried out. On the 5th of July, um we have, we begin the Tinwald ceremony with a church service. How does that fit with the the, you know, the direction of travel that's been set uh, today in the House of Keys? For me, that's a very ceremonial aspect to the business of Tinwald and the Keys. Um, the business of the Keys and how it's conducted, carried out, is a matter for the members. And we've had, resoundingly back from the questionnaires and the responses that have been published and from the public and media comment, the it's going to continue as it is. So, but with a slight tweak to say there'll be a little bit of flexibility between speaker and chaplain to determine an alternative voice or prayers on a particular matter. So, and I think the other, the other aspect is the speaker, in the absence of the chaplain, is not obliged to lead prayers, but can delegate to another person or member. Um, so the tradition will continue. And in each of those cases, had prayers been removed from the keys business, then it would be a matter still for LegCo to determine for itself and for Timwald as a whole to determine the procedure for each chamber. Um, to my mind, was there a lost opportunity to modernise I think so, because the, it, it does seem out of step with the modern world. But 
we're left with the majority view of the House and each of those recommendations has been supported. So I'd say we maybe we tried to go two steps forward and we've managed to get one step forward and the future will evolve how the process works and then for the future it'll be a matter for members themselves to decide what is appropriate. But I would urge members of the public maybe who aren't familiar with the proceedings either in the Keys or Timwald or Legislative Council to come down on a Tuesday. There is a public gallery, generally not very well attended, a handful of people, and to see what we are doing in your name and do you feel represented. Um, but I think for the majority of the population out there, they don't they don't care. <laughs> what, what does it matter in the scheme of things and everything that's going on with world events and housing and climate change? There's it's it's a it's a tiny subject. We've dealt with it. We've assessed it twice. Keys has um, determined to support the recommendations, and I think now we can move on and get on with the work we're there to do. That this is, I suppose, in a way, uh, symptomatic of the fact that the system is is set up wrong. Uh, you know, we 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 have one of the first things that happens um, when a new uh, House of Keys is elected is new members are, are placed in on all the various committees of of uh, Parliament and uh, government. The committee, you're you're sitting on this particular committee. This committee has a duty to do certain functions. And you get distracted. You you end up doing all this stuff, uh, which is largely peripheral compared with the three big urgent items, which, you know, uh, were well over a tenth of the way through the the term of this House in terms of uh, parliamentary sittings. And so little... Uh, actually has been achieved or delivered at least through Timwald or, or Keys. Is is it time for a radical overhaul of the of the whole way in which government and indeed the parliament, Timwald, House of Keys, is, is managed? I think it's partly a matter for the chief minister in terms of publishing the island plan. We're still awaiting, you'll know, the the overarching taxation and economic strategy, which I as a backbencher have not been party to any of the iterations of it. So, I mean, that is absolutely key in determining our future, right? And economy, housing, climate, you know, they're all significant areas, um, healthcare, education. Absolutely, we want to put the focus on. And the system and the way we do business, it's been a little surprising and underwhelming, the, the lack of legislation that's come through so far in this term, um, considering the huge amounts that we had towards the end of the previous administration. But obviously, it needs to be right. There's a whole scutch of secondary legislation that needs to come in. I've had a certain amount of um, disappointment with my own private members bill on the um no-fault divorce legislation and I'm repeatedly getting queries and emails from all around the island seeking info on when will that be implemented, when can they apply for a no-fault divorce, a no-blame divorce um, where a couple could jointly apply for it and I'm very grateful to the General Registry for keeping me informed but they've got a massive worksheet of, of it, all these items that need to be in place to and secondary legislation to support the implementation. The latest information they told me was that they're hoping by the end of this year that the new system will be in place and I know that is very much wanted by the family court the the, the family court users group was the inspiration for me proceeding and, and going forward consulting first and then bringing forward the legislation so to 
be aware of the, the huge amount of time that that's a very small bill and it came into force beginning of April, I think, in the in England and Wales. It's really desperately wanted. The pub, there is a public demand. There is the political and the officer will to get it in place and yet it's two years later than I thought it was going to be coming in. So why does everything, do we have enough resources behind it? Um, but the key thing is actually the policy lead and I think for us to know our direction of travel, because I for instance I don't know your views on it, I'm not convinced that the six weeks on the register that we now got this new system that everything has to spend six weeks on the register before it's been can be considered to be sort of publicly open and consulted and discussed before going for a decision and a vote in Timwald. That doesn't really work for me. Um, some some things are far more urgent and I, I, I'm not sure that that's helpful in terms of the flow of business and decisions decision making through Timwald. And, and of course it was introduced as I understand it to address a particular concern whereby uh, the previous government was dropping on on Tinwald members' laps very, very big items with hardly any notice. And this was why it was introduced, was to to give more time for members to consider. Um, But I I think I'm delighted to to hear all the the, the frustration in in, in your voice uh, in relation to your private members' bill. And I suppose going back to the original question, which was... um, is is the system fit for purpose? And and uh, you know I've th- I've felt for many years you know we've got plenty of resource, but is the resource targeted in the right places? Well, we pride ourselves on being a, an agile parliament and a an ad- agile administration. Um, but talking again to outside businesses, there's a lot of frustration that it, there is a perception that everything is slowed down by government instead of accelerated and facilitated and supported so there are some very big issues i think i think we can say treasury the department for enterprise in support for um, the covid pandemic has was very responsive and supportive and speedy actually an appropriate time for things to come out and again for the cost of living crisis that we're coming into with the announcements of the initial support so some things have happened more quickly but the business of government the, the progress of the island plan and this council of ministers, you know, vision and delivery of what they're hoping to achieve. We all know that the maximum, the best way of implementing change and new policies is the first sort of golden year or year and a half, two years. And that's when we really need to make progress to be able to see things through for the rest of this administration. So the other flip side of that is there has to be careful planning. We have to make sure that the policy decisions we are taking are the best. You know, there's an behind the, the lack of progress, if you like. I'm aware there's a huge amount of research going on and it would be foolish to make decisions without having the full picture, without being fully informed. Um, so there is a balance, but there are things when you talk about things being dropped last minute from the administration. Sometimes those are necessary. Sometimes, as Minister Hooper um, said last week, the rushing through of legislation to implement a new complaints process. I'm uncomfortable about that, going through all the the clauses, stages, all, all different stages of the bill in one sitting. But actually, the end result is just an enabling one to bring in regulations, which he has said he's going to um, advertise in advance, consult on widely, well in advance of them being able to be brought in. But actually, it's just to make the process better for the public. So I can support it. I'm uncomfortable with the process. Why was this not 
identified earlier that it needed such primary legislation to enable regulations. So I, I do sense that there's so much going on that sometimes it's it's hard to stay focused on the really key bits of policy and decision making that we need to, to make. Um, it's on all of us to do that and we all have different time pressures it's 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 easy to get bogged down in the stuff um and lose sight of the clear vision and the what we need to keep our eye on in terms of achievement so i think that's a learning for members that you there is some support from both council ministers and from the timwald administration um but where th- things don't work the procedure of the house timwald and how effective it is as a parliament and as a scrutiny body then it's the onus is on us to make changes to to make it more efficient mm. and, and, I, I'm, and i might be looking at that the, of course the response to lord lisfane's uh, report was uh, if it ain't broke don't fix it and who who in the right mind would suggest that our parliamentary processes aren't broke uh, you know half less than half the people turn out to vote for goodness sakes is that a system that's working and every, you know the, the public are so confident in it, in it that uh, they're all behind it no it's uh, it would appear to be broke so um uh, is it possible, perhaps, that Lord Lisfane's report could be dusted down again and, and a, a proper look at it this time? I think there's always room for improvement and for more efficiency, more efficient working. Um, I wouldn't say it's broken as a as a system. It might be a bit clunky in places. And again, we are the parliament and we lead to the good government of the Isle of Man and the onus is on us where things are not working as effectively as they could to change the processes and certainly I mean I I before the last election um, read very in detail the Lord Lisbane report and it is surprising that you have somebody of that level of expertise and knowledge um, that so many members know but it, it comes a little bit back towards the the prayers and keys no we must do this because we've always done this and this is our tradition and it must be kept well it has to be appropriate to the members and the society that we have of the day and if you carried on doing in terms of government departments if you carry on doing absolutely everything you've always done and then as legislators we're bringing in new laws and more business and then they have to do all those as well then things stop being efficiently delivered um, and there does come a time when you look very carefully at the working of government both the public service and the political level and you, it's on all of us we must strive to make it as effective and efficient as it can possibly be and that is for the benefit of all, all the Alaman society. Perhaps it's time for a committee to be established to look into the most effective forms of government and parliament uh, uh, around the world. Perhaps it is, or perhaps there's... I mean, I'm thinking back to the likes of Peter Edge at Oxford Brookes University, who was very helpful to me when I was looking um, in the report on the Kiribati public um, about the public election of a chief minister. Um, You know, there are people out there who have expertise and... I do receive a lot of email suggestions on a whole range of topics from the electorate and from the wider public. And I think, you know, I'm very grateful for that because it does give me an insight into what's important to the public. But currently, the the, the most emails I get regard education, health and housing. You're listening to Daphne Kane, MHK. 
So let's get back then to one of the emergencies. Uh, so the, the Secretary General of the United Nations uh, is, is clearly uh, pinning his colours to the mast with regards to the, the climate emergency. You're chair of the Climate Change... Transformation Board. Transformation Board. I knew I'd get there in the end. <laughs> You've been the chair of that board now for nearly six months. What would you say are the most meaningful actions t- that that board has taken in, in that time? In that time, the the biggest one is setting the interim target for the island as a nation, and the for the thirty sorry the forty five percent by twenty thirty five did not please those people who have um, very clear view that there is a climate crisis and we aren't responding to it quickly enough, and that traditionally the Isle of Man hasn't. Now we are doing working. Um, there's an awful lot of input research and consultation with various departments across government into our five-year plan and the next requirement under the Climate Change Act is that we bring forward uh, a five-year plan and the Chief Minister's charge is also with looking at a route map to 2050 to achieve carbon neutrality in that period as we are obliged to do. The The most recent development is the, the guidance for public bodies that has gone out and again in a very responsive um, collaborative way looking to you know what is appropriate what is what what the local authorities are able to bring come back on that process how how we can support and assist them to deliver on their responsibilities under climate change um and a, the, the the biggest element for me given the current energy crisis and all the um the cost of living impact on people is how we achieve a just transition so a a fundamental element of all that we do is that we have to bring everybody along on this journey with us so there's a huge amount of effort going in at the minute to drafting our five-year plan which will be coming for debate and I think it's the July Timwald needs to be signed off um, by the beginning of June but there's an awful lot of work to do to achieve those deadlines Um, and there's a significant amount of impact that the detail of the plan will have on society in general so we will you know we'll continue to work on that and 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 likewise I'm aware that we're getting very many other contacts to both the climate team and myself over um, elements that people would like to see not least what about the TT that's uh, not very you know that's carbon heavy in terms of visitors and racing um what about steam trains you know you should ban steam trains you should do this so i'm constantly having to juggle you know what is practical what we value about the lifestyle and how we assist people to change to go on the journey to carbon neutral way of living um and there there are it, there's surprisingly um a lot of people in favor as the recent insights um research has shown us but there is a a, a small percentage of people who absolutely don't acknowledge that crisis in climate and the world terms or that it's having any impact on the Isle of Man and absolutely don't want any change imposed on them. And that is a very difficult um, thing to juggle just 
just to try to and I think you know all the things I'm doing whether it's the prayers in keys or, or climate change you know I'd, it's very hard to please anybody all of the time or all the people some of the time and what we have to do I think is more public engagement to demonstrate to people actually what what we're coming up who wouldn't want to reduce their energy consumption and therefore the cost of heating homes heat homes more efficiently with fewer lower emissions um, have environments that are cleaner air and um, more active people on shorter routine journeys where you don't need to take a fossil fuel burning vehicle things like that to and increasing the use of public transport all elements that are going to help the Isle of Man reduce our emissions but also reduce the cost of living for people in terms of particularly transport and home heating. Members of the public could be forgiven for thinking that some of those climate uh, change uh, deniers uh, are sat in Council of Ministers. Uh, did, did Council of Ministers actually consult with the Climate Change Transformation Board in relation to granting Kroger an extension to its licence to explore for gas? There was some research undertaken by um, the board and the team fed back to the DOI. The, the issuing of Kroger licence is a matter for DOI and there, I mean, I have to say, I have been to the Kroger presentation where they informed us of a whole range of measures, including um, renewable energy powering any rig and also a closed loop system to reduce any fugitive emissions. So I am aware that the figure of, I think it was 29% increase in our emissions from gas extraction has come down significantly to a very small percentage on the basis of all the information that Kroger has informed us is their intention, if permitted, to extend the licence to do the seismic surveys and to get the gas. The we, You know, we are also, in a pragmatic way, in an unknown territory in terms of the world events, an energy crisis, and absolutely I can sympathise that in, in environmental terms there is... It's cut and dried. You do not, according to all the world leaders, and I think Paul Crane was mentioning them in your last programme, that you don't need any new gas or oil fields to be um, exploited. And, and and surely, you know, from from the Isle of Man's perspective, the the issue. I mean, I, to be fair, I'm 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 a bit torn on this one myself because I can see the arguments on both sides. But um, the, the the problem with getting if if it actually ever appears, if the problem with getting cheap gas is it then distracts us um, from actually addressing uh, the, 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 you know, the, the, the climate change emergency for moving towards a zero carbon uh, future. It's quite simply because if there's a very attractively priced fuel source, why would you uh, avoid that and move to something that might be a little bit more expensive. Absolutely. This, this to me, is a complete distraction. I don't have any say on that decision. That is a matter for the DOI. It's their licence and council ministers who I, I believe all considered the um, application and it's, it's taking us away absolutely from um, reducing our energy um, carbon emissions on electricity generation. It's whether or not it happens and I, I have 
doubts about it. I also fear whether we might have any stranded assets that the government would need to dispose of. But it's not a matter for me. It's out of my hands. And there is so much to concentrate on in terms of our energy generation, um, possible renewable energy on the island and home heating uh, transition. It's it's an unwanted distraction. I can see on... um, economic terms, why that could be attractive to certain ministers. And that is their decision in the full knowledge of all the information that they had before them. But on the basis of the various lobbying from Kroger and the presentations and the the assertions that they're making in terms of how they can proceed in, you know, taking into account environmental concerns, emissions and everything else. They have put together their intentions and DOI has decided or Komen has decided to say go ahead. So it's from a climate perspective and from an island reputation perspective, I don't think it's a positive, but I can understand, as I've said several times in various debates, given the situation we're in, and if they, it, there's the ability to extract gas, and they're talking about the vast majority of it going somewhere like Ireland and taking them off peat or coal burning power generation, then it is a genuine transition fuel. But for the Isle of Man, our transition started in early part of this century with our gas power station. And absolutely, we are looking in terms of the climate board at the ability and the the over Arab um, energy scenarios document that came out last year to inform us as to which of the technologies are the most cost effective to go forward and it is beyond question now that wind generation is the cheapest form of energy generation and with all our resources on the Isle of Man why have we been so slow to take that up but in fact there's loads of um, private companies coming forward now with various schemes um, and to put private investment in that and I think the other part of the big question over um, gas extraction on offshore Isle of Man is actually there's an awful lot of companies and potential business that that might think twice about coming to the Isle of Man if we're associated with gas extraction in a at a time when there isn't a, a climate crisis when we should be focusing more on the um, emerging technologies renewables and everything else and I, I just want just one mention of Dr. Taylor and the proposals for hydrogen and renewables that he's planning around the Santon site of uh, the gatekeepers. I think it's just gone before planning. There are all sorts of exciting and um, innovative people and businesses out there. Um, So why wouldn't we focus instead on that and reduce our emissions as much as we possibly can in terms of our energy generation while balancing it and ensuring security of supply in terms of um, our transport you know if, if if you consider that the uk will ban fossil fuel vehicles in 2030 then the isle of man has got to undertake those transitions to get us there and while i know people have um take exception to electric vehicles they may not be the forever answer in the terms of of how they are engineered now but they are a good answer for right now the second hand prices are reducing to a level on a par with second hand fossil fuel cars so in terms of and then you save significantly on the running costs plus the emissions and the pollution so there hopefully people will make the decisions based on their family finances on their home heating 
and it will be a, it'll make sense financially as well as environmentally. One of the most effective ways of getting things done in government, it would appear, is to make short 15-minute videos. Is it? <laughs> it worked for Charles. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, um, he did say, um, when he circulated that to all members, he did say that my comments in Timwald had inspired the video. And I would say I welcome the attention that has got. Obviously, pictures paint a thousand words and the media is potentially more powerful than the humble backbencher because I've been banging on about the lack of investment in our in our heritage, in our, you know, the ongoing maintenance of our roads and our, particularly our footpaths for many years. Um, and in terms of our heritage transport, the state of Douglas Promenade, I think it has got the governments and particularly the Minister Crookall's attention and I'm really pleased and hoping for a, a much much improvement by TT and certainly through the rest of the year and a bit of common sense and putting in terms of the success of a government or how an administration is judged what people see as the welcome gateway to the island of Douglas we deserve better Douglas deserves better and the ongoing maintenance of our all our assets, really, for our visitor offering of our footpaths and our, particularly our heritage sites, I would like to see that put on a firmer footing. And I, I think it's very welcome that the public response to Charles's video has been quite so strong and supportive because I've known Charles for many, many, many years when he's done promotional videos for the Isle of Man. And I find this was actually very balanced because, of course, there's still the beautiful shots across Port Erin and the hills. The Isle of Man is an amazing place. We've got a lot to offer visitors. It was welcome to hear on the radio the visitor, the, the hotel owners saying visitors are very pleased with the Isle of Man and they're delighted with the offering. But we know it could be so much more. And I absolutely think that we need to take back the pride in our island. And this is not down to just cost, is it? I mean, there are some elements are you know, cost, uh, you know, the affordability is, is part of this. But most of the things that were demonstrated in Charles's videos, if £10,000 wouldn't have, have, have gone a good long way into, into dealing with this and a few people spending a little bit of time, which I understood they, they, they did the, <laughs> the morning after the video broke, um, you know, the, it's, it's not, not big money. So, when we, you know, we're not talking about um, you know, the, a, a cash-strapped department struggling to actually deliver on, on, on some of this. I think there is an argument, though, that perhaps uh, this is a, a, a kind of a, a statement of where we have ended up as an island. Uh, you know, we have been under funding maintenance now for at least 10. Uh, I think it was 2009 was when the, when the first savage cuts started to, 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 to hit in with, with government departments. So so this is a this has been a long time in the making. Um, you know, is there any sort of recognition, do you think, in Tinwald or in, across government that we can't carry on underfunding investment in our infrastructure? I hope the message has hit home with Minister Crookle and certainly from his comments and the fact that department officers were on Marine Drive assessing those very broken down old barriers days after the video came out. I think it has had a positive impact. It will, I think, continue to have more 
and in terms of its political priorities and the department, the minister, the members are responsible for directing their offices and their budget accordingly. What was very shocking to me as a member of the footpaths committee, the select committee set up to investigate um, David Buttery's petition that we need to do better maintenance or possibly go out to an agency or an alternative way of maintaining our footpaths. Highways department came and um, officers revealed that in fact at the present time they would need an additional £910,000 to maintain our footpaths to the standard that they would like to and they don't have that that, that amount of budget obviously there's £360,000 I think for footpaths and that includes staff costs but that's not enough so when you see DEFA gaining um, a million pounds over several years in order to do the necessary maintenance and structural work within glens as a result of significant rainfall events which we can argue are not are related to climate changes that we are seeing on the island um, but the significant amount that's needed for the footpath is revealed and obviously in terms of doing Douglas a seawall a new seawall to protect us from rising sea levels and also at Laxey they aren't going to be buttons they aren't going to be in the few thousands they will be in the millions but we need to get on and do that because without it we are going to struggle again with events on the communities that leave um, the areas of public amenity in a worse state than they are, you know, and we don't need to have it. We need we need to see investment in things that matter to communities and looking long term future as well as short term um, gains in terms of smartening up the place. That was Daphne Kane MHK being very careful with her words. Is government right to agree to extend Kroger's licence? And if so, what does that say about the climate emergency declared by Tinwald? Are the processes of Tinwald and government broken? If not, why are only half the people prepared to turn out to vote? Please get in touch with philgorn at manxradio.com and let me know your thoughts and views on the programme. You can access the podcast of this week's agenda from Manx Radio's website. But for now... I'm Phil Gorn. Goromayu, thanks for listening. <laughs>